Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Amen. So our reading this morning comes from the book of Mark. Um, surprisingly, I know, for those of you who've been tracking with us for the last number of months, we are in chapter 8 now. This is great. Uh, this is starting in verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And after he'd sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left him and got back in the boat and crossed the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of that of Herod. They discussed with one another, and they said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of the discussion, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you see, or do you still see but, or understand, or are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. As a church, we've been studying through the book of Mark, and it's been revealing to us who Jesus is, how he lived when he was here on earth, what he taught, and what his real purpose was in coming. And so I welcome you. If you're new here today, it's okay that you haven't been a part of the series. There is something for you today. If you've been tracking with us all along, you're going to continue to hear some common themes. Christ's compassion on people. His desire for all people to be welcomed into his kingdom. And the fact that he loves people and is pouring out provision for them. In this passage, we also hear this warning about beware our hard hearts, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that and how in this passage there is this antidote that Jesus gives us so that we don't become that, but that's for a little later on. Now, as we look at the scriptures today, I want to invite you into the details of what's happening. Because I don't know if you're like this, but I know that when I've been, let's say, doing a reading plan of the Bible and you're reading through the book of Mark and you hear about the feeding of the 5,000, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then a couple of chapters later, there's the feeding of the 4,000 and it's like, 
didn't we just read about that? Is this the same thing? It's like, okay, been there, done that. I mean, it's miraculous and it's amazing, but how is it any different? And there are so many nuances that get missed that are so rich and are so explicit about Jesus' mission. And so I'm thrilled to be able to share them with you today. So it starts by looking at the geography of the story. Now, often through the book of Mark, we hear about Jesus and the disciples getting in a boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee. So it's referred to as a sea or as a lake, and so there's this body of water. And so as we're talking today, uh, I'll keep sort of pointing this direction and then pointing this direction. So Sea of Galilee, and on the west side was Jewish territory. So when the feeding of the 5,000 happened, it was Jesus ministering to the Jews, to the people who were chosen by God to be the way in which Jesus would appear and come into the world. Then Jesus and the disciples got into the boat, crossed across, and came to the eastern side. This was an area called the Decapolis, and it was where predominantly Gentiles lived. Gentiles, simply non-Jews, is what we mean by that term. Now, certainly there were some Jews in the area, but predominantly Gentiles. Jesus was bringing the message to them. Now, for those of you who have been tracking for a while, we've heard about this Decapolis region before. Earlier in Mark, Jesus had crossed over to this side, and the first thing that happened was he came across a man who was demon-possessed, so out of his mind he couldn't even live in normal society. Jesus healed him. This man was like, I want to follow you, Jesus. This is so amazing. I want to be one of your people. And Jesus said, no, no, I don't want you to come with me. What I want you to do is go back to your friends and family, and you share the message with them. That was earlier in the story. One man, one healing. Now Jesus is back in the same area again, 4,000 people. Quite the mission, eh? And kind of cool to hear how that geography plays out. So we hear about the 5,000 and the 4,000. Now maybe at the time this wasn't evident, but as the early church and as scholars since then tend to look at this, the number 5,000, what happened in the Jewish region, would have resonated with Jewish people, sort of referring back to Joshua's army earlier on in their history, a conquering army of 5,000. Also, the way that they were seated, the way that they were grouped together was in groups of hundreds and fifties, which for them would automatically connect with how Moses organized the Israelites in the desert after they had escaped from Egypt. But the 4,000, not having any of that Jewish background, were simply sitting in a scattered way. And so the picture that sort of diagrams this just sort of shows a number of dots there. They, They weren't necessarily in groups. And in all of this, Jesus had compassion on the people. Over and over again, we hear about Jesus' deep compassion in both stories, western side, eastern side. Jesus had compassion. He fed and he taught both people. But it's highlighted a little bit differently in each passage. With the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had compassion, and so he taught them, and then he came into feeding them. Over in this passage, it talks about, yes, he was teaching them, but he had compassion on them and met their physical needs. And so I feel like there's a piece in this of recognizing that Jesus knows the needs that you have. 
for each one of you sitting here listening today, listening online, listening on a podcast, you know, months down the road. At this moment, Jesus sees the exact needs that you have, whether those are physical or intellectual, mental, emotional, relational. Jesus knows the needs that you have, and he has compassion on you. His heart is to love you and to bring into you or to you all that you might need. Then Jesus also calls us into joining him on this work of compassion to help meet the needs of others. And so he invites the disciples into this. Now, in, in our present story with the feeding of the 4,000, the disciples ask the question, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Okay, you can look at this so many different ways. Any which way, I think it can still apply to us. First of all, had they already forgotten? Like, it's kind of a big deal to feed 5,000 people off of five little loaves. Okay, maybe they forgot. Ooh. When do we forget? There's so often that we forget the power of God, the love of God. We forget too. Okay, maybe it wasn't forgetting. Maybe it was that they didn't have faith for another miracle. It was amazing, Jesus. We haven't forgotten that you've done this amazing thing, but we're not sure that you can do it again or that you would want to do it again. And that can happen for us too. Maybe, maybe God met a need 10 years ago, but will he meet this current need today? Or maybe we see God miraculously heal someone else, but does he have healing for me? And so we have those same kind of questions. Now, some scholars would propose that the disciples were simply being careful, and in this way, not demanding that Jesus had to do the same thing, but they were actually ready they were ready. So they were asking the question and the context being maybe just, Jesus, what are you going to do? What I think is kind of cool is if you think of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had to say to the disciples, go and look and see what you have. And they found five loaves. Over in this story, Jesus says to them, well, what do you have? Instantly, seven loaves. It was like they were ready for the miracle. So that's kind of cool too. So however you look at it, you can find yourself in the midst of the story Seven loaves, five fishes. <laughs> Either way, multiplied into amazing abundance. I'm going to be using the actual bread here to talk a little bit later as well, but I think it's amazing to think how Jesus would have had the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And we're called to give thanks for all that God has put into our hands, even if it seems like it's just a little, considering all the great need that we're facing. And then Jesus broke it. He gave thanks and he broke it. It's not as easy as it sounds, right? He broke it and then it was handed out. Have you ever thought, I don't know, sometimes I just let my imagination come into scripture. What would multiplication look like? I mean, there is the possibility, but I doubt that it happened like this, that you take seven loaves and poof, all of a sudden there's like a mountain a mountain of loaves, enough for 4,000 people plus women and children. But what if it was just seven loaves? Jesus has some bread. He's handing it out to the disciples. Okay, go pass that out. Okay, go pass that out. And what's in front of him just keeps multiplying. Now, if you think that this is only a story from biblical times, 
These sorts of things still happen today. And that really encourages my faith. There's a missionary in, in Africa, Heidi Baker, working in Mozambique, who shares the story about a flooding that happened. Her people that she was caring for needed to flee. They get to safety, but there's no food. Her heart is breaking for these people who are starving. Someone brings a pot of chili, one pot of chili for hundreds of people. She prays, God, I know you have the power. I'm just going to start scooping chili because I have faith. And so she just keeps scooping chili, just like Jesus probably was handing out bread, loaf after loaf. She just kept scooping chili until all the hundred people or more were fed. Jesus has power. Now, when we look at the leftovers, we hear that with the feeding of the 5,000, 12 baskets of leftovers. With the feeding of the 4,000, seven baskets of leftovers. Now, I kind of wondered, why was there less the second time? But what I think is really cool, and I did not know this till I was preparing for this sermon, so sometimes there are fun things that come when you study God's word. There are two different words used for basket. Both of them are translated in English to basket. The one over here actually means a small basket. Think of it more like a lunchbox that like Jewish people would use to carry their kosher meal. Basket, the word that's used for that in this scenario is actually so large you can put a man into it. So as much as the number is smaller, seven versus 12, there is an incredible abundance. The multiplication and the leftover is amazing. Now, in the midst of these two numbers, great significance. Twelve, ministering in the Jewish region on the western side. <clears throat> Jews would remember and connect with, not just remember, but connect so deeply with twelve because they were politically and, and, and in their organization divided into twelve tribes. This was something that was very common to them. And so God, with twelve baskets of leftovers, is signifying the twelve tribes of Israel would be taken care of. Over on this side, Seven. Seven in scripture, and especially at that time, represented wholeness, completion, divine fulfillment. So yes, it starts with the Jews because that is the beginning, but Jesus then brings that not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and the Jews. And there is a fulfillment and a completion and a wholeness to what he is doing. That his message is coming to all people. And that in that crowd that was eating, there were Gentiles and Jews sitting down together eating. This is the message of God. And his love is available to all. He is a God who provides. He is capable. Now, you know, I was talking about this boat crossing back and forth. So we're over here fed this amazing group of 4,000 people. Jesus' disciples get in a boat. They come back over here, talking to the Pharisees. This conversation that takes place where the Pharisees ask and demand for a sign from heaven. Now, it's interesting that they were not just looking for a sign that would, like, reassure their faith. This is not saying that you can't ask God to try to make things clear to you. But what they meant by sign from heaven was not just a sign from God about their 
faith, but it was actually specifically asking for like an apocalyptic phenomenon that would denote that the Messiah had come and was going to vent the wrath of God on their enemies. And that's why Jesus said, you're not going to get that sign. Because that's not why I came. They were looking for a Messiah of their own dreams. And there's a caution for us in that as well. Because where do we sometimes just want Jesus to do the things that we want? That our prayers seem like a demand. That we think it should be done this way. That's a little bit what the, that, what the Pharisees were doing they were demanding, and it is such a human issue that we would long for logic and deduction and for evidence to all line up that it would make it so clear. But then there wouldn't be this step of faith because no matter how much evidence there is, and there's lots of evidence, there is still this need for faith that you would choose to believe this truth and you would step into it for yourself. They get back in the boat. <laughs> There's a lot of this lake and moving back and forth, right? And sometimes we can gloss over that when we're reading. They're back in the boat. They're going to a new region. And Jesus is so deeply concerned. And so he warns the disciples, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And in this, there's the warning about having the wrong kind of kingdom vision of not understanding what it is that Jesus has come. And when he talks about yeast, you can use the word yeast or you could use the word leaven. In that culture, it was probably a little bit more like sourdough starter. Lots of you were doing that during COVID in the first year, I think, right? And so there was this piece of, of, of fermentation that's happening. But whether it's yeast as we know it, dry yeast or, or sourdough starter, when you put it into a loaf, when you're creating, when you're creating bread, you can't separate it out anymore. If I look at this bread and I think, oh, I'm going to pull the yeast out. Oh, no, no, that doesn't quite work. Maybe that, no. Because it infiltrates everything. And the concept in Scripture is this metaphor that yeast or leaven was corruption. If your sourdough starter goes rancid and you cook your loaf with it, the whole loaf tastes bad. The whole loaf is poisoned. And it can be like that with our minds, with the truth that we decide to believe, where we choose to focus our attention. If we get a little off track, it starts to infiltrate everything and it can become so difficult because as much as we might think that there's this thought that I need to get rid of, how has that thought influenced everything else? It can be really difficult sometimes. You probably know that if you've been trying to sort this out with Jesus, there's a cultural piece, there's your family history, there's the ways in which you were raised, the ways in which you were educated. It all kind of swirls together and it's hard to separate it out. And so Jesus says, beware. Now the interesting thing in naming both the Pharisees and the Herodians is that it basically warns us of two opposite ditches. The Pharisees, on the Jewish side, were strict religious leaders who in their legalism felt that they could earn their way to God if they just did everything right. 
But on the other side are the Herodians who, ah, if they have a concept of God, they're willing to manipulate that to get their own purposes met, and they kind of just want to live life for what feels good. And so you can see how there's these two opposite ditches try to become so perfect and do everything right that, you know, I will earn my way. That's not God's kingdom. But neither is it that you just do whatever you want and forget about God. And so in the middle, maybe not in the middle, maybe just different than both of those is Jesus' way and what he's calling us towards. And what I think is so beautiful is, is this reminder that Jesus is the bread of life. It's a little subtle in the story, but it does show up there because there's this, this point in which at one point in the story, it says that there's one loaf of bread in the boat, and then the disciples are going on and on about having no bread. And I was like, okay, which is it? There's no bread or there's one loaf? I mean, it seems like a discrepancy. Now, maybe that was just hyperbole on their part. They were just exaggerating. But it's interesting in how the story is told that the one loaf of bread is actually the narrator of the story uh, giving us some inside information as we head into the rest of the story. And so there's this piece of what if Jesus is the one loaf of bread in the boat? What if the true bread of life was present there with them? Over in John chapter 6, Jesus declares it more clearly, I am the bread of life. He says, the bread of heaven that comes down, or sorry, the bread of God that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And so there's this, this call that all people are welcome if they would come and they would believe. Jesus is the bread of life. With him, there is no corrupted yeast. There's no wrong thinking. And what if, as we make him king of our mind, we need to allow him to transform our thinking? We can't do it piece by piece by piece, but he can transform our thinking. If we're willing to surrender to him, if we're willing to give over to him the things that the Holy Spirit is challenging, on, challenging us about, and Jesus gives us a key in how to make sure that our hearts don't become hard. He says to disciples, do you not understand? Are your hearts becoming hard? And it's really easy for our hearts to become hard, especially if we allow some wrong thoughts to take residence in our hearts and in our minds. But he says, do you not remember? And there's a piece of remembering and remembering rightly that helps us to make sure that our hearts don't become hard, that we would focus on Jesus and focus on what he teaches. So he reminded them by asking some questions. And again, we come back to the 12 baskets and the seven baskets, that Jesus has come for everyone. The fulfillment of his provision of bread of life wasn't just for the Jews. Yes, for them. He loved them dearly, but also for everyone. And that everyone includes you and it includes me. It includes everyone who is living here on earth, that in the past and that will come in the future, Jesus loves us so much. He has come for for everyone, and no matter what our struggles or our uncertainties, whether we're despairing, rather than letting our hearts become hard, 
and living in the midst of doubt or anger or frustration, of disobedience. Instead, we remember, we remember who God is and we remember what it is that God has done. And so there's this piece of asking ourselves, where have we gotten off track? When we went through the Lent guide, um, some of you know that we have a Lent guide that's available. There's still more at the info desk. This past week was looking at Jesus, King of my mind. We can get off track if we just remember the details, but forget the significance. The disciples remembered 12 and 7, but they hadn't really got the significance. That's a really obvious example from today's teaching. But how many ways, or maybe what's happening in your life, where there, there's the details, there's maybe the scripture, but you haven't yet caught the significance of what it is that Jesus is, is longing for you to know. The simple truth that we keep coming back to today is that Jesus came for everyone, every single person. And there's this piece of he wants us to be on mission. For Jesus to come to everyone, to bring it to the Gentiles, means that he had to leave the familiar territory and cross over the lake to come to those who did not know him, to a pagan culture that was so foreign to the way that he would have been raised. And so there's a calling for us too. Are we willing to cross over? Will we cross over the aisle in church to speak to someone who's different than us? Or the aisle at the grocery store? Will we cross a hallway at work or at school? Will we cross over the street to meet our neighbor who maybe is so different from us, either in belief or faith or ethnicity or how they live their life? But we are called to cross over, to bring the good news of Jesus. And maybe for some of you, there's a calling to cross over, cross over to, a, to the other part of the city, to another part of the country, or to cross over the ocean to another part of our world, that everyone would have the opportunity to come to know Jesus. And so as the worship team comes up and as we think of Jesus being king of my mind, we have this secret weapon of remembering and remembering rightly. Who is God? What are the characteristics of God? What is it that he's done and what is it that he's teaching? We want to actively move into that truth. One of the beautiful things, I mean, I knew what I was going to be talking about today, but as we sang the songs previously, every one of them is a way in which we are declaring truth. We are remembering, even as we're singing, that this is the truth of God. And as we move into this next song, we're celebrating the goodness of God. This goodness that pursues us no matter where we're at. We do not earn the right. Um, to have Jesus pursue us. We do not earn the right that good, God's goodness would come to us. No, it is available for every single person. Jesus came and died on a cross, rose from the grave, so that every single person could have eternal life. And this is what we long for. We remember the goodness of God in every aspect of our life. And for everyone, everyone, this is available. And so we declare it together. Let's remember together. Love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never yes. fails me. All my days, 
I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will see the goodness of God. And all my life you have been Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.